0: Beautiful, buddy. Mate, we're on. Hey, um, Benny, thanks for doing this, mate. We were just talking before we press record about how some games are defined by sort of key moments, and obviously you've been coaching a lot longer than I have, but it's something that I've started to notice as well. Like if if you look through some of the games that we lost this year, um, a certain lineout goes our way, we might have won that game. We don't give away a penalty, we might have won a game you know the ball goes to hand it's really it seems like a lot of games are defined by small moments even in games where like clearly you guys flogged us on the weekend but there, there was still a few small moments from what i can see have you have you noticed some similar as well and have you worked out a way to ha- to coach teams how to win those small moments
1: um i certainly haven't worked out a way to <laughs> coach a team to win those small moments if i did i'd be uh, probably coaching a lot higher because i think, i think that's almost like the you know the secret recipe, the secret spice is that if you can if you can work that out, you, you're going to have your team winning most games, aren't you? But mate, as we were talking about, I want the same opinion. I can trace all our losses back, and you go, you know, if we just did this in probably two or three key moments, um, there's a whole different outlook to the game. Um, So, mate, I I totally subscribe to that theory, and you know, it normally obviously you guys lost on the weekend, but it's, it's never bad as it seems when you, when you watch it on video as well. well I think as a coach, you, you can show your playing group that you know if we just one these one or two moments, you know, we could have won the game. And I guess that's about being, you know, sort of switched on for 80 minutes, isn't it? Those really good teams, they, they have they have less of those moments. The poorer teams have more of those moments where they switch off. So it's about yeah. being switched on for 80, I reckon. Yeah,
0: it's it's interesting, isn't it? You, you kind of see teams that traditionally win a lot of those moments. Like like to me, I've played a lot against Eastwood over my career and Eastwood seemed to win a lot of those moments. But I've never had anyone come to me and say – this is why it happens. It just seems to be something that some teams do better than other teams.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's fair. And he, you know, obviously uh, this week there was the state of origin. Everyone says Queensland does that better. Don't they? I mean, when it comes to rugby league, you know, they win those big moments uh, apparently, and they all go back to, you know, there was that Stephen Crichton intercept. Sorry if you're not a rugby league fan, but Stephen Crichton intercept. And there was eight Maroons that went back and only two New South Wales guys. So, yeah, I I don't know. I don't know if he's to win those big moments. because I've certainly lost a few big moments myself as well. Um, but it probably feels like that when you're a successful team and club, I guess. Yeah.
0: How how, how did you ride the ride the wave of the early season for you guys? Because it was a few tough results early on. Was it was it something that you knew that you were just building as you went, and and you'd start to hit your stride towards this part of the competition, or like how did you process that as a coach going through that?
1: Uh, it was actually, it was, yeah, it was quite difficult. Like we're traditionally a slow starting team only because we don't, yeah, you know, for some reason, we don't have the best off seasons. And maybe that's something I could fix in my coaching. But I, I knew we'd start slow, but we probably started slower than anticipated. Um, so that it was, well, I thought we'd come good, but. I thought if we were playing it, you know, I'd like us to be playing, say, at the start of the year, five or six out of ten. I thought we were playing like four or five. So it was blue blow where we needed to be. Um, and you have to lose one game, it's okay. Two games, ugh. And we should have lost our third game as well against the two Blues. And they missed the kick in front to, to win the game. So, you know, we could have been zero and three. And then I, you know, in front of the... Oh, the boys might listen. But, yeah, in front of the boys, I wouldn't have hit the panic button. But internally, I, I certainly would have been panicking. But... We also knew there was a couple of areas, you know, our line-out mate was literally operating at 50% and and you just can't win a football game. If your line-outs at 50, our scrum was at 70%. So I knew if we cleaned up a couple of areas, we would get better as well.
0: Yeah. So it was just a matter of, you you could see that in your head if you remove the emotion of it, obviously no one likes to lose and, in some ways, losing shines a light on all the things you need to do better that winning doesn't always do? Was mm. it just just a case of just going, we need to get this better, we need to get that better, we need to get that better, and then eventually the wheel would turn?
1: Yeah, well, that, that was definitely a thought process. There was a couple of key areas that were, we were clearly lacking in, like just... You know they were sticking out like a sore thumb, so we, we dedicated a lot more time and then made it made a couple of changes there as well. Um And you know, realistically as well, Um, you know, personnel wise, we're a little bit down on personnel at the start of the year. Uh, we, you know, we had, we had to put a lot of young guys, I think, in the pack, which contributed to the set piece problems. It was oh, there might have been like seven debutants out of eight sort of thing, which. Yeah. Which really hurts you. And I had a really good chat to Billy Melrose once, obviously, you know, long-term coach. And there's just no substitute for quality players as well. When you when you get, you know, guys that have played regular first grade back, it does help you. So it was a little bit like, well, i got to take some of the heat because we probably should have trained better in the off-season. Two, we didn't execute. And three, quality of players.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I remember DC saying at something, it might have been yeah. the the Narrabeen torture camp that we went to, uh, that you can't win even if you're the world's best coach if you don't have good players it's very difficult to win
1: yeah well i mean i think dc said that at a level four i think that, that's that's it. the
0: torture camp i was referring oh,
1: yeah. to <laughs> <laughs> we won't go into that yet Tell <laughs> the company line here yeah um, <laughs> yeah, oh mate, oh, yeah, that actually really resonated with me what, what DC said because obviously DC's been known as in certainly shoot your level as a really good recruiter. Um, and that's sort of translated into his success. But you know, look at all the good teams, you know, they teams that have won the comp, they've had good players, haven't they? Yeah. If you go through the last few years, you know, probably Sydney uni may be a little bit different that that's just a machine, just keep it on turning over. But you know, good teams have you know that that Norse team was really good in 16, that Ringer team was really good in 17. That uni team that won two in a row—they were really good with those potters and porters and, and players like that. So there's no doubt that good, good, you know, good players win more games, don't they? Or help absolutely. you with games.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and and they make you look like a better coach too, just just quietly.
1: Oh mate, it's yeah, funny on that. I Me and um. Obviously, my co-coach, good mate of yours, Jed Gillespie. We, we were just talking last night, and uh, we've had Tane Edmond back recently. Uh, and I reckon my coaching's dropped fifty percent. <laughs> it's it's absolute <laughs> heaven. I don't, I don't, um, I don't return really home with a headache and all that. He takes over, and we got a, we got an experienced Englishman in, in Charlie Beckett, and he's um, in, in the second row for us. And, and Jed said the same thing to me. It's great having some experience because they sort of take on a role and they sort of help you out and lets you focus on actually coaching rather than just absolutely everything yeah. if that makes sense
0: i i found like I, I haven't been coaching as long as you but i've I've found a very different coaching guys who are already at a good level because you just have to kind of steer them in the right direction and then hold them accountable versus teaching complete beginners how to do the things that they've known how to do for 10 years Like mm-hmm. because at the wildfires i'm doing first grade men's forwards but i'm also doing the colts and the girls mm-hmm. and, and it's I'm really enjoying it, but it's a very interesting to see the difference in the beginner versus the guys who are at this level.
1: Yeah, that, and I actually reckon that would be really challenging. Personally, for me, um, luckily, I'm, I do first grade only. I'll touch base with to lower grades, but mainly first grade. But you can just see – I know what you're talking about. When a young kid comes up and say he hasn't been through like a um, – you know, a, a really good school system, hasn't been in academy or anything like, they're just so raw. So you can see the talent, but you literally have to you have to teach them everything. you you got to teach them, say, 10 things, where a kid, let's say, it's come through the academy, you got to teach him maybe seven or eight. A kid that has had no sort of experience, but just you can see something about him, you've got to teach, you know, so many things, like, you know, 12, 15.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I've also found something difficult is when you've got the guys who are basically super rugby players and you bring, like, a young guy from Colts into grade, uh, from from a scrum or a line-out point of view, you spend all your time, or you should spend all your time on the young guy getting them up to standard, but then the other guys don't get the attention that they need and deserve. And in reality, they're the ones that you get judged on. So mm-hmm. I've found that balance very challenging as well. Is that something you've experienced?
1: Yep. I can give you a really good example of that. I, um, Chris Bell's been uh, sort of 10, 15 for the last couple of years. 27 years old, pretty much knows what he's doing. So reasonably experienced player, but I reckon, and I had to talk to him in the offseason. I reckon I've really neglected him over the last two or three years. Of course, yes. he didn't need as much help as the other guys. I sort of just let him flow through and I didn't think his game had evolved that much because i hadn't coached him much he was still doing what he did when he first came to me in 2020 so it was actually a work on for me this year is to make sure i give my top guys or the guys that don't need us you know in theory don't need as much coach make sure they get at least some love as well and just trying to refine and make them become better players as well because you can get stuck in making the one that needs a lot of progress giving him all your time and you neglect the guys that you know probably ultimately win you more football games don't they
0: and they're the ones that that we get judged on, really. Yeah. Like as much as you want to help the young guy of coming from Colts into grade, it's really the first grade guys that are who we get, you know, judged, criticised, praised on.
1: Yeah, no, no, I t- totally agree, mate. So it is important to, and obviously it's one of the challenges of coaching, isn't it? You, you can't give hundred percent love to fifteen plays, so you, you got to work out how how you spread it around.
0: How do you give guys feedback? Is that a weekly thing for you? Will you send them clips? Do you sit down with guys? What's what's your sort of process there?
1: Yeah, we, we do it on. So they get sort of post post the game. They get a, a little questionnaire where they do, you know, two things they did well yeah, as part of their you know medical screening as well. But at the end, there's like two things you did well, um, two things you need to work on. Um, I generally go more towards the, the backs and, and do that stuff and leave Jed to the forwards. Yeah. Um, and we sort of go through the game. There's two things you did well in the game, sorry, two things you need to work on. Um, and then some of the boys, they, they like going through, like, you know, they like going through the whole game, um, which is very time-consuming, Michael, honestly, if you're listening. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but you, you, can, you can fit in a few where you do, you know, um, full game review. You fit in a few where you do clips. Other guys just like chatting via um, WhatsApp. Um, other guys like a phone call. So it's about yeah. working out what um, each individual wants.
0: Yeah, so tailoring the feedback to to get the most out of the individual. So with James Whalen, you'd have to hit him with a brick over the head for, <laughs> for him to take in any information.
1: Whalen well, well, um, well, is actually pretty good in terms of the feedback. He, he, well, he's gotten better, certainly, since we, we got him two years ago. Um, doesn't always take it on board, but he's certainly more malleable than probably what you had him as a very young buck, as a 20-year-old coming through when you were the experienced guru at Seahawks.
0: I, I always I love Whaler. He's a good mate of mine. But uh the first sort of scrum session he's in grade, he's he's gone up to me and gone, oh hey, champ.
1: <laughs> so he champion.
0: I've, I've never forgotten that. <laughs> hey, hey, how are you keeping morale high during the tough part of the season? It's getting cold, injuries are starting to happen, guys are sore, it's getting tough. Have you have you noticed some of the morale go down a little bit? Is there anything that you do as a coach to keep everyone up?
1: Uh, I, I, reckon I had this problem big time last year. Uh, and I did some surveys post season. A lot of the boys said they, um, you know, they're really low during the middle of the period. So I was sort of conscious of that, um, this year, hold on as I just opened the door for my stupid bulldog. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I, um, yeah, I was really conscious of that this year. So what I did is I sort of, we did less training at the front end of the year. So traditionally last year we did Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, from sort of round one this year, we only did Mondays probably two or three times in the first 10-round um, block, and now we'll probably try to ramp it up. So I've sort of, in, in theory, I've tried to, you know, keep them reasonably, not too much rugby, rugby, rugby in, yeah. in the first block, and then the second block, especially as the quality of the comp comes up, um, and you get an influx of, well, we get a few plays back, so we probably need that third night as well. But it was also mainly just for the, the mental sort of freshness side of it. Or oh, I thought, you know... Oh, when I first got on the coach, I thought three nights a week, you have to do it. Now, I'm not so sure. Um, yeah. I'm prepared for that. Um, and, yeah, hopefully they're a little bit more fresher for these tough bikes. It is tough now, cold and wet, like you said.
0: That's interesting. I've heard every different theory. I've I've seen teams train twice a week. I've seen guys uh, move their training to Wednesday, Thursday, and then a the captain's run Friday. Uh, we do Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. I, I I guess there's no real right answer. It probably just depends on your group and and uh, how long you've had them together and and some of the ages of the guys who who are doing it. Is is that what you've seen? Has it been working for you guys? Obviously, it has been. You've been winning.
1: Oh yeah, well, look, proof of being the pudding at the end of the year, ultimately, won't it? Well, at the moment, we're we're sort of doing all right. If we come at the back end of the year, yeah, I'm a genius. If we fall off the cliff, I um, you know, we haven't trained enough, so it, it'll sort of be hard to work out. At the moment just my gut feeling says it was the right decision um, yeah. just because the boys just look a little bit fresher. And again, it was a little bit unique to Eastwood as well. A lot of our um, our guys, it takes an hour to get to Eastwood because they're we're sort of splattered all around Sydney, um, you know, peak hour traffic in Sydney. What, what a beauty it is. Um, like sometimes on that Monday 45 minutes for an hour for video and some work on this isn't worth the two hour round trip for the players yeah. so th- that's what it was sort of born out of for us it was just the fact that guys don't live nearby you know might be different in a couple like say manly or ringer where everyone's maybe 10 or 15 minutes away well, i don't know what the wildfire situation is but like then you can it's not as big a burden but you know to take two hours out of someone's day with a family we've got a few older players as well um, i think like you guys at the wildfires which makes us a little bit unique, like you know, taking time away from the wife and the kids and all that, it all sort of adds up. So it's about getting that work-life balance right. But I reckon as soon as I got into coaching, we were still two a week at Eastwood, and I was adamant you have to go to three. Um, um, so yeah, that, that's changed within you know four
0: years. Mate, what keeps you going when it gets tough? You're a businessman, smart man, talented. What keeps you going? Why are you doing this?
1: Mate, oh, I love chasing success. That's what gets me going. I'm a competitive person. So when it's, you know, cold and wet, like I just know we have to get this done in in order to sort of win the game. It's easy for me to say as a coach as well with my, you know, 10 layers of clothing on and all that in the rain. But that's it. That's what gets me going, mate. I I, I just know you. in order to be successful, you've got to work hard and, you know, it's not always perfect either, is it? So you gotta understand that got to, there's gotta there's gonna be ebbs and flows throughout a season, there's gonna be ebbs and flows in your business. Um, so you can't just take all the good stuff. Um, you know, that that's sort of oh, I really gotta I really don't like sort of you know the, the term like you know flat track bully. So you're really up when it when it's good and you're going yeah. or I reckon the, the people that are most successful that sort of rise up when you when you're up against a bit of adversity. So or I try to when when it's a tougher time, or I try to bring the group more energy or I try to work a little bit harder, sort of thing, because I want to help the boys get up and, and I mate, I just don't want to fail as well.
0: <laughs> have, have you always had that? Or is that something you've sort of cultivated over the last sort of five years?
1: Mate, I certainly did like as I certainly didn't have I reckon mate, I turned the corner when I was about 26 years old. I can remember it vividly because I was um I'd been in two professional programs. I was just getting cut from actually no, I wasn't about, I was halfway through my Waratahs um first in, in Chris Icky, who was a coach of mine all the way through Eastwood just brought me in and said, you know, mate, you, you, you've wasted your talent. You don't work hard enough. And, and this kind of thing. And this was coming from a friend and mentor sort of thing. So he, he gave me it right between the eyes and I'm like, ah, oh. um, and, and it really hurt me. Um, but it was really good for me as well. So it was probably from then on, it was in 2009, I remember it vividly. Yeah. Um, and, and from then on, mate, I just tried to work as hard as possible I was a player, whether it was in my business or, or whatever it was, whatever I was trying to succeed in, I wanted to go at it hundred percent. But it took me a while to learn
0: it. What? What is it like? Had anyone up to that point tried to have that conversation with you, or was it because it was someone that you respect so much, like Chris, who you have that relationship with, who just sat you down and was really honest with you, that it actually got through? It was, or was that something that no one had ever spoken to you about before? Were you aware of it?
1: I no, I don't think I was really aware of it. To be perfectly honest, I sort of just. Going through, and I thought I was reasonably successful, you know, played in a couple of grand finals, been at the Brumbies, played MPC. So I thought I was doing all right. Um, but in reality, I wasn't. Like looking back now, I was only doing lucky to be doing 50 to 60 percent of what I needed to be to sort of reach my potential. So um, and no one, I wish someone had told me that earlier, Like I wish someone had told me that when I was like 20. Yeah. Um, but then, if I was 20, I don't know if I would have been ready to hear it. I would have just sort of passed on, yeah, sure, mate, Um, sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I don't really know what the answer is. It does help, though, coming from someone um that you have respect for and, and yeah. you've got a relationship with it. If it's just, you know, some coach you've known for six weeks or something, well, it's, yeah, well, I don't know if it wouldn't have worked. I'm like, mate, you don't know me. <laughs> you don't know how hard I work or something. So, um, yeah, it was probably good timing from Chris, and, you know, he was an experienced coach by that stage, so he knew when to pull the trigger on me.
0: I, I want to ask about Chris because he's, he's a bit of a legend in rugby circles, but in terms of taking that hard conversation that, that he had with you, which has clearly benefited the next part of your life, how do you go about having hard conversations with players? And how are you finding – I want to be a bit general because I know some of the guys will listen, but but like, how are you finding this generation? Are they open to those hard conversations? Yeah, how, how are you finding that?
1: Yeah, look, I always, we're not going to have one of those one of those conversations or for players getting, um, you know, dropped or something, which is another hard conversation. Um, I always just go back to just be 100% honest with them um, and, you know, do what's best for the team and the player. So when you're having a hard conversation about someone who's not, you know, doing enough work and maybe not living up to potential, like, I've only got his best interest at heart. Um, so you know I'm doing a good thing it's a hard conversation but I'm actually doing a good thing for him Um, and then you can't you know, you might sugarcoat it a little bit, but you've got to be 100% honest with them because it'll, otherwise it'll come back and, and bite you in the arse. So, you know, oh, but you said, you know, this or that. Um, so I think if you're just 100% honest with them, um, you've got their best interest at heart um, and you're doing the best thing for the team, um, that's how I say it. That's what I say in my head as I, as I have those hard conversations. Oh, this is best for the team. This is best for the individual. It's actually going to help them. So um, in terms of the generational stuff, um, mate, I oh, I still think individuals are individuals um so some some guys will take it really good and, and they just come to me and go yeah mate batch you're right and, you know i haven't been other guys will just say no you're totally wrong and you know kick up a stink um so it's yeah i don't know if it's so much generational or, you know if we asked the coach from 20 years ago that they would have had the same thing you know this guy yeah. took it well this guy didn't take it well so um yeah that, that's where i stand on that. that yeah
0: that's totally fair totally fair comment and probably pretty accurate i'd imagine like i I didn't realize how lazy I was until the last year of my career. And I wouldn't have listened probably to that feedback right up until the end, which is 15 years too late. Yeah. How, how do you, those guys are, don't take the feedback well. How do you, do you just let them sit with it? Or do you, like, how do you stop them from being a problem with the, with the group? Yeah. Do you not even think, or do you not even think about that?
1: no no you do think about it because some guys obviously you know they can take it poorly um and they can be really sort of you know sulky around training and that sort of affects the playing group so then and then I, I think you sort of you know you you actually have to talk to them again sort of thing and say look I've noticed you reacted this way or you know why have you reacted this way try to get to the bottom of it you know how they're feeling and all that um and then eventually sometimes mate you just got to tell them that you know, you can't, you can't play here unless you're going to improve your attitude. And that's obviously the hardest conversation you, you can possibly have with a, with a player that, you know, essentially telling him you're not wanted. Um, but you sort of, I guess for me, it'd be sort of saying, look, mate, if, if you don't improve this, we, we can't have you around the, whatever the first grade group, because you're actually bringing everyone else down. So you've got a choice here. Um, you know, it's up to you. So which can be horrible as a coach because you're thinking, God, if I, if he walks out on me, you know, I'm now down to only one tight end prop or something and, you know, it's going to, you know, uh, you know, screw up my entire squad. But, mate, you can't have a player who's a sort of cancer in the team because it's, it's just going to, you know, it'll infect one, then it'll infect two, then it'll infect three, four. So you, you can't let that happen.
0: How do you work? Actually, let's talk about Chris Hickey, yeah. uh, obviously a mentor of yours we've we've just gone through the level four course i've been connected with matt williams who's been fantastic obviously chris Hickey's a great mentor of yours do you do you think having a mentor is a valuable thing for young coaches or or even older coaches and, and what are some things that you've picked up from chris along the way
1: um yeah well firstly yeah chris definitely is a mentor like he's he was the one that brought me into first grade he kept in touch with me throughout all my travels as a footy player when i got coached when i got into coaching and everything so Chris has been really good to me, um, and, and we still touch base every couple of weeks. He'll send me notes on the team. I can call him anytime if I'm having problems about anything. So, Chris, Chris Icky's um really good, and mate, it's just just little conversations where you just pick up little things. Um, so, you know, sometimes you probably find a lot of the times actually guys just sort of um reaffirm that you're on the right track which is actually also really nice um, yeah. it's nice to know that you know an experienced coach like him thinks um you're doing the right thing so one that's really nice and just I mean, it's just it'd be just only you know it's never reinventing the wheel when he offers me advice but there's just one or two things where i go oh yeah well, i actually could use that um so it's I don't, and it's it's just nice to get that. I like the affirmation part of it. I don't know if that's an ego thing. Um. Yeah. But also, mate, I'm always looking to get better. Um. And why wouldn't I go to a guy with 20 years experience in coaching? So if I can, you know, an hour's worth conversation for two little tidbits of gold is 100% worth it to me. Impossible.
0: That's that's the whole reason I do this podcast. Is it? I originally started as like a business thing, which is the dumbest thing ever, and then realized how much I could learn from it. And it's honestly talking to talking to smart people you might just pick up one thing about how they approach something or the way they think about something, but it's incredibly valuable. I think.
1: Yeah, mate, I agree. And mate, you know, obviously on the podcast, but I do want to tell you, I listen to the podcast as well for that exact same reason. And then when I hear something good, I'll just write it down in my phone and put it in my notes or this big notes section with little ideas that I pick up from different people, mate. I, you know, I'll read newspaper articles on coaching. I'll go, oh, that's a nice one. Or see a good quote, take a photo of that, scroll through Instagram on those different, I follow different, you know, coaching ones and stuff like that. Like, you, know, you just always got to be trying to pick up information to to help yourself and, and try to get better. Do, do you do any formal
0: personal development? Like, will you go and spend a week somewhere at the end of the year? Or is it more just, just informal, kind of like I do, where you're just always open to new ideas and talking to smart people?
1: yeah well i reckon i'm probably more on the informal side like you like i sort of you know last year i was really lucky my, my brother's mate um is an snc at the seattle seahawks in oh, the yeah. NFL, so went over there saw talked to him and saw a few things about their their training and all that so that that was really awesome but that was you know also tied in with a very fun trip to the us so you know a little bit of a little bit of b there um and just like I guess, yeah, I'm like you. I pick up little tidbits, write it down. I like reading as well. So I like those books and I take notes or a dog tag, the years of books and stuff like that. But I don't essentially go, you know, I'm going to do two weeks of professional development or something like that. Yeah. Um, So I'm going
0: to work on my communication or I'm going to work on an understanding of kick return strategy or I'm going to learn more about forward play. And you sort of have it formally written down and you go and. You don't think, I don't think like that. Do, do no, you? No, I, like I don't think like that either, but
1: sometimes I feel like I should think like that. Yeah. Well, like, I don't know. Like a great coach, like Eddie Jones, he probably does that, doesn't he? He probably goes, I'm going to work on my, you know, presentation skills and then goes, speaks to, you know, actors or whatever, everything under the sun. So maybe that's an area I can get better, but certainly my personality type's more like yours, where I want to sort of learn on the run and I want to constantly be going. I'm not as formal in my preparation on personal development.
0: One of the best things about doing this podcast is it's totally reframed my thinking on failure. Like I used to be very afraid of making mistakes and uh, it was actually a conversation, conversation with Wayne Smith that totally flipped my thinking on that. You have to make mistakes. It's part of the learning process. What's your relationship like with, for a lack of a better word, failure, making mistakes? Do you think it's important? And, and can you share any mistakes that, that you can recall that you've made uh, that have turned you into a better coach
1: yep definitely i can um my relationship with is like at, at first I, I do take it really poorly i'm still a, a poor not a poor sport but you know i i, I want to win I'm, I'm competitive so at first i'm i'm really bloody i'm really filthy and then um it's funny because I, I tell my players when they have a poor game you know you can tell when a player's had a poor game i always send them the message yet yeah, not your best game you got 24 hours to cry about it and then we're on to how to improve you so I try to do that with my own sort of coaching with the team. i got 24 hours to sort of whinge and cry about it. And then there's there's no more whinging after that. It's just, it's just straight to the job sort of thing. So, well, I take it bad at first, but then I've got to look for the silver lining. So when I go through my video, like, oh, it's probably a bad thing, but I'll analyse our games that we lose a hell of a lot more um, than the ones we win sort of thing and just try to pick up everything. I've got to be better and not overanalyzing and, and sort of, um, doing too much about it because like I said earlier, you know, a loss is never as bad as it actually seems at the time. Um, so that's how I do it in terms of and actually it was funny when Chris Hickey actually gave me gave some good advice. Like I think after after we lose a couple of games early on in my coaching, or, you know, I used to rant and rave a little bit. Um, but Chris told me that that's more about me getting out my emotions. It's actually a little bit selfish. Um, so nowadays, you know, if they lose you know, it's sort of restrained anger rather than the blood and thunder that it used to be sort of thing. Um, And I thought it was a really good point because, you know, it does at the time, it doesn't really help them that much um, at full time coming off and blasting them when they know they've played bad or they know they've just lost. So, you know, that was just a conversation. And, you know, from now on, I I tend not to do that unless it's something really alarming about, you know, effort areas or something. Um, So I got that from him. Uh, In terms of failures, i um i, I know 2019 we, we had a really good team we, we just knocked off a very star-studded East in a, in a quarterfinal at tg then we were playing the rats at um north sydney oval to get into the grand final and i didn't change the game plan at all i thought beautiful we just towered up east um i'll just stick to everything and i literally didn't change anything during the week and i've Instant, I regretted that for four years, and it was a really good coaching lesson for me that you've always got to be evolving. I think I think with Simon Cron, you know, he says something about you know seven days a long time in rugby or something. There's some quote about that, and yeah, it couldn't ring more true to me there. Now, so now I'll never make that mistake again. In terms of you know, you got to throw something a little. I just thought you know what worked there will work, um, and it didn't, and we lost um also learned that year that was my first real year head coaching that I ran all my forwards into the ground all my props so from now on I, I try really not to play my props for 80 minutes for you know 12 weeks in a row because I know the wear and tear. obviously as an ex-prop will know this more than anyone but the wear I just didn't know I like oh, cool they will just keep going but it made me Eight hundred kilos through your neck, um, yeah, you know. 20, yeah, twenty times um, a game for twelve games in a row. No one can survive that. In that semi formal I lost my captain, my tight end Rob Lagudi, in the first ten minutes and screwed the whole game just because I didn't manage him. It was it was a load management issue sort of thing. So um, definitely learned those ones um yeah that's the big one that always sticks out to me in terms of failure because i have that loss really i have that loss really on me like i really take that one to heart and i sort of see it as my sort of fault
0: the um the evolve or die saying is very true isn't it yeah i keep doing the same thing like the the famous story about how uh blockbuster got offered to buy netflix really early on They like, go, oh that'll never last and now there's only one blockbuster left in the world or that similar with BlackBerry. No, no one has a BlackBerry anymore. It's all iPhone because they didn't want to evolve. And I think that's very true in rugby circles as well. You got to evolve your tactics. You got to change. People work you out very quickly, even at our level. There's all the stats are there, all the videos there. You can't hide. People know what you're doing. So you've got to evolve.
1: Yeah. Mate, for, yeah. I think. No, mate, I, I totally agree with you. And it's not, um, it's not you don't need massive changes as well. I think that's where some people maybe go wrong. You know, oh, we're going to change our style. Um, you know, teams have worked see out. No, nah, it's just you know changing a few little different pitches. So that, you know that maybe the opposition starts second guessing them as well. So, but like you know, I'm a little bit like most people when you first hear change, you little. Oh, like, I know me personally, like oh change. Oh, I'm not sure about that. So I, I've I've learned to be certainly more open to it. Um, but at first, it is a bit of a shock for me when I hear oh we're going to do something different. Oh, I don't know about that. That's my first reaction, honestly. I don't know about that, and then I think it through. Yep, yeah, it is the right idea.
0: Do you review games straight after the games,
1: or yeah. do you let it sit for a day? Um, mate, I'm horrific. So my, my Saturday is I um I get home. I uh, always have a a Pepsi Max when I get home from from a game. I love a Pepsi. But I'm not a I'm not a huge drinker, so I find Pepsi Max with a lot of ice is my thirst quencher. I'll then order some Uber Eats. So Saturday night's a treat meal. Uh, and then I'll dive into my video for four or five hours. I'll uh, go to bed about 1 one a.m. or 2 a.m. I can't sleep because I'm thinking about the game still. I get up at 7 or 8 a.m. And then I'll go back into it. So maybe not the best habit to get into, <laughs> um, but it's one that I can't help.
0: It's interesting. Like I know Jed does the same thing. I I need to remove the emotion from it so that I can look at it analytically rather than going, fuck, fuck why did they do that? They broke that. <laughs> yeah, yeah you know rather than doing that um, but that's just how I work but I know a lot of guys will do it the night after the game is it how, how long do you spend on it during a week is it actually what's your week like in general because I I I've been at two clubs now coaching I've seen some of the behind the scenes of what goes into being a shoot shield head coach it's a tough job what's what's an average week like for you
1: uh average week so i guess let's work from game day like saturday's a big day you get there at 12 and like i said i'll probably stop rugby at 12 at night so that's a big day sunday or i have is a really big day i think sunday's important to have a big day at our level because all the boys are free like they're not at work they're not at uni so you've got to get all your review done but you know our rule is on, on sunday night um so sunday's a big day i try to knock off at about like three or four on a sunday so i get a bit get a bit of you know bent time, whatever you want to call it um downtime from rugby so and then monday morning i I sort of do my gym work and then i'm back on so let's say it's sort of more like a a half day on monday you know you've got to watch all your film of the next week's game so you watch you know two or three games of the one you go in on a monday we train so i'll be in there at about four o'clock four till say eight um Tuesday you're prepping for sort of that that training one so let's call that more of a sort of like a, a half day again you're making sure you're making all those tough phone calls in the morning then you're getting there in the afternoon sort of you know again four to your bigger training session 8 9 at night uh Wednesday morning you're going through it's probably like admin day like so you know our guys have asked him. Um, you know, different things throughout the grade. The clubs ask for different things there. So, but that, that's really only sort of a couple of hours. I, I try to stay away from the club on, on, on a Wednesday. Uh, I've got another business where I own a gym. So that, that's where I sort of do the, my gym stuff for half a day. Um, and then Thursday, that's certainly a lighter training run, um, just putting the finishing touches. So call that half a day. And then Friday is more, Friday, Friday's pretty rugby free. Oh, I I just uh, I just communicate with a few of the boys, like boys that I think need need a message on game day or something that they, they, they get some messages and we talk a little bit about that sort of thing. But mate, a lot, first grade coach a lot. It's so much admin. Like um, you know, you're looking for a player for a house. It's just things always come up. Um, so you're not necessarily like sitting at a desk per se. You know, running through film. It's not as much coaching as you want. It's just like okay, this guy needs this. This player's complaining. You got to sort out this. There seems to be like fires everywhere um which you just sort of putting out these little they're not big ones either but they're just enough ones to sort of take 40 minutes here half an hour there 20 minutes there um they're the ones that and it's sort of yeah it, you feel like it's not really contributing to your on-field success as well so they're the frustrating ones and i reckon that probably adds up to like you know six to eight hours a week doing those sort of tasks which is may just the loss the coach i guess
0: I I reckon there'd be quite a few Shoot Shield coaches listening, just nodding their head going, ah, I'm glad he has to go through that as well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, well, you know, I've talked to a few of them after games and all that, and then you you talk about your frustrations and all that. So, yeah, it's it's certainly not unique to Eastwood or or me and all that. It's just, I guess it's just the nature of the business, the nature of Shoot Shield, that semi-professional level. It's just... You know, you're getting things at different hours. You're getting a phone call at 11 p.m. You're getting a phone call at 6 a.m., whereas in a professional environment, you know, they're in there all the time, aren't they? So it's whatever, 8 till 3, whatever they, they train nowadays.
0: How have you seen the shoot shield evolve over your time?
1: Yeah, it's a funny one, that. And, you know, you don't want to – you never want to say, like, you don't want to be like one of those old people say it was, like, better in your time or anything like that. So it's interesting. I think that the coverage and the support is better than ever now. So, if that makes sense, like, people are more behind it. Um, but but I think, you know, it's virtually become an under-23s or under-25s competition now, and I reckon that hurts the quality a little bit of it. Um, you know, when I was coming through, it wasn't too many guys over 22 years of age, I reckon. There would have been, like, three in your team. The rest of them were sort of experienced footballers that have done 10 years of football. So, um, I, don't, I don't know why it's ball.
0: Yeah, what do you think that's changed? What, like, what flip? Because I've I've had the same experience. Like, I people always ask me, "What do you think the comps? How, how do you think the comps evolved?" And I would argue that when we were playing, they were probably better players because all the Super Rugby teams would send their guys back every week, and they wouldn't warehouse their guys. So you'd, I'd be scrumming against Kieran Longbottom or Matt Dunning or you know Ben Robinson, and it was every single week, and nearly every club had someone. But I would argue now that the coaching's gone through the roof, the detail has gone through the roof, the coverage and support has gone through the roof. And, and I think it, it's more exciting than it was, but I don't think it's as good, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and it does, man. I, it's, I think it's because, like, you know, guys, if they don't make it at, at 24, 25, they just stop playing now. Whereas before, guys used to play till, you know, I played till I was 31. That was in 2015. You know, you'd be lucky to find. 10 over 30 year olds in the competition at the moment i think both our clubs have probably got the most yeah they're all playing for the wildfires yeah (laughs) i got a couple as well but you know which i think is a bit of a shame because that's a good place to learn isn't it off those experienced players so and you know it's got i think a lot of it comes down to you know the super rugby size you know they're picking 20 and 21 year olds now aren't they so if you are 25 and aspirational you go geez my time's probably done so what's the point of playing unless I really, really love the game? So do you think there's
0: more options now as well? Like with major league and Japan and the coverage that we're getting, it seems like um, I've spoke to a major league coach who looks at the shoot shield as their main recruiting ground, because it just lines up better with their season as opposed to New Zealand. Like, is, is that something that you think plays a part as well?
1: Yeah, it definitely does. Like, you, you, you know, certainly when I was coming through, there's was only three Super Rugby teams. So automatically, you know, two extra teams is going to dilute talent. Uh, and you're right, there's more options to the MLR. There must be like what, 30 or 40 guys from shoot shield and MLR at the moment. Easily. So yeah. So that, that's a huge player talent. And you know, you got young kids now. You know, we, we just lost a young walk who is 20 years old, he's off to Japan. Um so 20 years old. Yeah, 20 years old, totally unproven. Um, but gets to go to Japan and obviously earn some good coin and ever be a professional footballer. So, you know, hard to, you know, hard to say, no, come to Eastwood for, you know, a couple of hundred dollars a week and a meat pie um, when, when he's getting offered big stuff like that. So yeah, it's a combination of all those things. But you know, for me, I've always been a big proponent. I don't like selecting kids really young into these super squads. I think it's detrimental to their development. Um you know it's arguable that you've seen that all the way through to wallaby level and a, a super rugby franchise is not, you know, going that well as well um so yeah i think there's a number of factors it's still look it's still a very good quality comp don't get me wrong and it, i'm not saying it was a lot better in my day but I, I liked the fact that there was more experienced people over there i think there's no replace for rugby games uh you know and i don't think young players are getting enough rugby games in them at the moment
0: yeah i agree i i, I remember talking to jed before you guys played uni maybe last year and we talked about more defense strategy for about half an hour. Just a fascinating conversation. Oh, bit. You would have loved to have been there, but <laughs> that just never would have happened when I was playing. So I, I think the the detail and the, uh, the coverage has improved and there's still some very good players, but I think it's becoming a little bit thinner.
1: Yeah, I oh, agree. man it's funny because when I was coming through, like I don't, remember, I think we used to have the old V, that's oh, I'm I'm my age yet, but the VCR, and we literally did video review, you know, fast forward, rewind on two or three plays, and that was it. And nowadays, if you, you know, you got your huddles and all that, where you're getting you know 100 clips a week sitting through. So the professionalism has has gone up. So yeah, it's yeah, it's a funny one.
0: Man, as you look back on your time at Eastwood, can you? can you pin down what has made Eastwood a successful club clearly you've been a top four team for as long as I can remember certainly top six uh plenty of wallabies plenty of great players gone through the club is there is there something that you can reflect on or some insight that you can give on on why that's been the case
1: oh look everyone always throws out the word culture weren't they when they when they have successful teams and if, a lot of people ask me what is the Eastwood culture and well, I don't I don't really hundred percent know to be perfectly honest. Most of the time I'll, I'll give them the answer that, you know, it's usually quite a hard working because we, we actually don't have a lot of resources and all that. So People are are generally fairly humble and hardworking, which I think is an important one. But when I look back on it as well, mate, it's the continuity of the place in terms of like, you know, Chris Hickey was there for six or seven years. Then John Menenti was there for, um, I think, five or six years. Um, Now I've been here for sort of five years. Like that creates a really stable environment. Um, And a lot of other clubs haven't had that. So... Having that stable um, environment, I think, has been really important. You know, the board's been fairly the same all all through the years. We haven't had any – you know, you hear of, you know, coups at other clubs and stuff like that. Um, We've never really had any of that. So you've had a stable coaching um, group, stable board, stable GM and stuff like that. That really gives you a nice, well-rounded club. And then in terms of the actual boys, like – Mate, oh, I've been there 20 years and, you know, I, I could count the number of, you know, dickheads on one hand. and
0: J- Just way low, basically. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, but, yeah, I 100% agree with you, mate. I've, I've had um, many, many friends from Eastwood over the years and there is not one dickhead amongst them. I've known a lot of the guys. And I, I've been there playing shoot shield 15, 16 years.
1: Yeah, but it's not like we actively say that you know because the Sydney Swans always tout that thing you know we don't sign dickheads all that. It's not like we've we've you know said that or anything like that. It's just I don't know if it's just the way it's been or you know if one comes in they get weeded out pretty quick. Yeah. Like the boys are um they just they just don't want any of that. It's, it goes back to being they're very humble guys. So if someone comes in like sort of tooting his own or too much or something like he gets he gets humbled pretty quick himself and he quickly finds out that's not the environment. I can probably, yeah, obviously I won't name names, but I can think of a few guys that have come through with that attitude and, and mate, they they, they they come and go really quick. And, but I, I think what I always tell when I'm sort of recruiting players is about the culture of Eastwood is just look around at the other shoot-shield clubs, how many ex-Eastwood players are at other shoot-shield clubs. And, mate, there, there is not very many at all. So most guys that come there um, enjoy it. So it's that stable environment. Um, and I think it's that, that enjoyment factor as well. It's generally good people around to sort of hang out with. What? mate i was actually i had a different question i was going to ask you
0: this is probably going to pump your ties a little bit what do you what are you world class at i had someone ask me that the other day and i found it a very confronting question because i don't like talking positively about myself but it's an interesting question because we're all really good at something what are you world class at
1: honestly man i'm not world class at anything like well what like well, I can't think of any any facet where I can go that I'm so much better than anyone else or even if I'm like so much better than any of the other shoot shield coaches or so, so I don't think'm I'm, I'm well I don't think I'm world class at anything in particular I think um you know I'm reasonably good at some things or like I, I like to think, um, it's a small little detail, but I, I think I read, read body language pretty good. Um, and, and I can tell when, when a person's down or when a player's up sort of thing and that can affect selection or, or what you say to them and that kind of thing. So I'd say that that's one of my my biggest strengths, um, but I certainly wouldn't say, you know, there's you know millions of people in the world that are better than me at it. So I don't know, you know, it's, it's not to you become, you know, the best in the world, you know, an elite coach at you know, winning a World Cup where you can truly say that you're world-class at something. So, mate, I'm just... I'm just constantly looking to get better realizing that oh, I'm nowhere near the finished product as a coach.
0: What do you have to get better at?
1: Um for me I oh, make many things to start with um but probably the most important one oh, at, at first I was really bad at um I'm getting better at it but really bad at other people's ideas I, I thought I sort of had most of the answers on, on things um so nowadays I'm far more open at, at open to others at first i'll still go oh wait 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 wait. that's different to what i was thinking um but then i've got to i've got to process it and slow it down and work out actually that might work um so so that's one i've got to be better with my um my staff as well as a head coach so what i'm really bad at is i just, like i think people have got the same mindset as me like oh, i just want to do everything possible to win, to win or make the players better and all that. But some people just don't have the time or different types of energy and all that kind of thing. So I've got to, I've got to learn to treat my staff the way they are not the way I want them to be. If that makes sense in, in terms of their, their personality and I've got to give them clear. I'm not very good at giving clear direction. I got to get better at my like in training plans, giving them a real clear directive. Because I can get really frustrated if, if we do a drill and it wastes ten minutes, like it'll, it'll drive me insane. Um, then I go back and say, have I given them really clear guidelines on what I wanted out of that? Um, so th- there are two things that I reckon I got to get really better at.
0: How have you had much criticism since you started
1: coaching? Not to my face, but I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure there's um. I'm sure there's there's plenty out there. And, you know, when, when we've lost games, there's, you know, there'll be fans to say, you know, you kick it too much or something, or, yeah, you yeah, haven't been doing something like this. Um, But, you know, mate, everyone's got an opinion. So I'm one of those people that if you get criticised, unless it's from someone I care about, yeah. um, it, it sort of doesn't, doesn't really bother me. And if you ever want to make it as a coach, and I certainly do, is, you got to get used to it, don't you? You're going to, every time you lose, you're going to get, you know, Freddie Phil at the moment's copping it from all angles. Okay. So, and you're going to get fired and all that kind of stuff. So, I think, you know, in my head, I've got it, I'm ready for it, but I don't know if you can truly be ready for a bombardment of, you know, you can't coach, you can coach, whatever kind of thing.
0: It's funny. I was I was telling one of our players during the week, uh, you're a genius coach one week, you're an idiot the next week. <laughs> and that's just what you got to live with.
1: Wait, I actually had that the last two weeks. We got absolutely hammered by Sydney Uni and we played so bad. Um, and, like, you know, you hear different things or you say different things. And, oh, like, yeah, they mate, they didn't even look like they were coached. And then yeah, a week later, oh, geez, they were brilliantly coached. again. <laughs> like, jeez, in one week, I'm you, I've gone from the worst coach to the best coach. So... You got to take it all with a pinch of salt, don't you,
0: mate? How, how important are your support staff at Eastwood? Can we talk about them a little bit? Obviously, I love giving Jed a hard time, but <laughs> let, let's let's give him a little bit of a plug. How, how important are they to you? How important are they to the success of what you guys are doing,
1: mate? So, super important. The first ones I'll give really credit to is um, sort of the volunteer staff that aren't on the coaching staff, you know, they're
0: massive at every club, absolutely oh, massive, amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't know technically what their role is, manager, gear shoe or whatever, but there's a guy at Eastwood called Horry. He's been there for 20 years. And, mate, the, the place simply wouldn't function without him. If there's any little problem, he'll fix. Um, the players like him. He offers a little bit of humour, um, which is a little nice point of difference from all the seriousness of rugby. So the, those volunteers are so important. Even our first-grade manager, um, Johnny Proper, he, he can be annoying, but, geez, I don't have to worry about anything like fuse sports or something like that. He just takes it totally off me. So, well, I can just focus on, on the rugby side of things. So I think those guys are, are super, super important. And, mate, the, the assistant coach is obviously, you know, the, you know, it's obviously Jed's got um, set piece. You can't win a football game without set piece. It's it's as simple as that. So if he doesn't do his job, we, we don't win football games. And he does his job really good um, and gives me – you know it's sort of we're actually pretty similar but it gives me a different point of view on certain things as you know he's not afraid to speak his mind so yeah. um you know some of it goes in one year out the other others you go gee, that's a good nugget of gold jet I'll, I'll i'll take that and use it as myself and pass it off <laughs> <laughs> um because he's a smart guy and you know my the defense coach is just um steve timeman so he's a he's an ex- wallaby you know we deliberately got him in he's an older head so you know i don't know I'm going to put, throw him on the bus, let's say he's older. Um, and he's a really calming presence. So sometimes in the coaching box, I'm a little bit extravagant, um, but he'll just sort of, you know, I'll look at him and he's so calm, like, why oh, fuck, why well, am I acting like a pork chop? When this bloke is, you know, coach the Waratahs forwards, um, you know, he's just sitting there calmly. So they they all got a unique role, mate, and they all make my job a hell of a lot easier. And um, they're all contributing to helping us be a successful team and the individuals be successful, mate. So couldn't do it without him
0: i i as another assistant coach in the shoot shield i can only say how how tough a job it is if you're doing it well or if you're doing it if you're putting the effort into it that you should be putting into it it's a very tough job and yeah i'm basically giving myself a pat on the back there as well
1: oh mate it takes it it takes a, it takes a, it takes a lot of time up doesn't it because you know obviously you're not getting paid for it as a living um and you know your weekends are gone um your night times are gone three times a week like at least I get a bit of coin for it. Like the assistant coaches get hardly anything. So um well, I reckon it is one of the harder jobs sort of thing, but it's one of those ones where, you know, you sort of, well, I'm sure you probably got in your head, you're sort of biding your time, hoping for an opportunity at some stage sort of thing, but it, it's bloody hard. It's time consuming.
0: Look, it, it is, but it, equally it's rewarding, particularly when you've been going reasonably well, it's very rewarding. And um I, I personally like working with a, a motivated group of people good people who are all on the same path. Like, I really love that. So it's not it's not a chore to me, if that makes sense.
1: Nah, I, I guess that's what the good coaches are, mate, aren't they? Like, they see it as less of a sort of a job and a, and a chore and more just, you know, something I'm, I'm going to do regardless whether I get paid or, or whatever. It's just a, I'm, I'm the same as you, mate, working towards a goal with a group of good blokes is something that really sort of I enjoy.
0: Mate, Matt Williams had this great quote that he said to us. He goes, rugby is easy, people are hard. And I couldn't agree with that more. I, I really like, as we just discussed, I really like working with good people. I find difficult people very hard to sort of wrap my head around. What, what have you done? What have you learned about building relationships with your players? Is that something that came naturally to you? Like you're, you're a people person or is it something that you've had to develop those skills over your coaching career?
1: Um I reckon naturally I'm a bit of a people's person. Like I don't want to talk and all that kind of thing. So I reckon naturally I was sort of okay with it. Um, but as I got into coaching, I started to learn more and more the importance of it. Um and it's really funny. The the guys you work more like I can just look I can look at my team now and I can go, the guys that I've worked closer with and have a closer relationship, they're my better players. It's really, it's it's really that simple sort of thing. So um, so it, it sort of shows me that if if I dedicate the time into um, the effort to someone, um, one, I get a kick when they improve. And two, they sort of repay me every sort of Saturday as well, sort of thing. So the challenge for me is to make sure that I give um, as much love as to someone who I, you know, I don't connect with as well straight off the bat. Like some plays, you just, you straight away you know you sort of fall in love with them you want to help them with with everything sort of thing but other guys that can be a little bit more challenging um got a dead you know might you know whatever it might it might take six months of conversations and he finally becomes he finally lets out you know you know these are his problems and this is how he wants to work on his game and all that so the challenge for me is not just to go to the guys you can actually gravitate to it's it's to work on the guys that are a struggle with but then at the same time, it becomes a time, I've had this with a couple of players where, you know, you can only help a person so much. Uh, and knowing when to sort of, you know, fold your hand um, is a really important skill as well. And because otherwise, again, it was a, a difficult play. It's obviously quite time consuming, energy consuming. But if they're not willing to give it back as well and sort of invest in your relationship as well, um, you got to cut the cord at some stage. Someone told me that and it was really good advice. I can't remember who it was, but I really found that quite important. Do you, do you have any
0: characteristics that you must have for people that you choose to work with? So in your, obviously the shoot shield is not an ideal environment. Sometimes we just have to work with what we've got, but do you, do you have anything that you expect of people, any
1: characteristics
0: that you like, anything that you admire?
1: Uh, like straight off the top of my head, like you've got to be hardworking. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I've probably seen around the traps and just in, in in my playing careers and all that, like some people think they can be like even an assistant coach because, you know, technically it's not as big a workload. Like I think they can just sort of glide through it. You, you can't glide through it. Like you, you've got to invest like, and I'm not saying like 100% of the time, but 100% of the time you're at football or where you're doing your review and preview, you've got to give that 100% of time because it just, it won't work otherwise. Yeah. So, and I've sort of seen that even as a coach sort of thing, if you can't give that hundred percent, you sort of have to hop out and which is really hard in this environment because, you know, and I've had it with some, some coaches like, you know, the, their family life or their work life, they just can't give the time needed to be uh, a coach there. And then you have to have that tough conversation with them. It's not it's nothing against them. It's just in their life, they they can't do that at the moment. So, um, and i got real respect for some of those other shoot shield head coaches. that have got, I, I don't have kids or a family, um, but mate, I don't know how they do it with kids or a family At like their time. They mustn't have a second to spare. Um, so I'd imagine just how hard working they are, but that's the first, when you ask me that, when you ask me what I look for in a person, like a, a coaching staff, it's got to be, I take hard working over anything else. I take hard working over, you know, a brilliant mind or super intelligent, like that, those things help. Um, but hard working would be the first one.
0: I don't think hard work guarantees success, but I don't think you can be successful without working hard.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, There's is, this is a quote like that, isn't it? Oh, I've used it many times. It's, it's stuck in my phone, you know, um, hard, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. One of those variations on that. But well, I'm really, really behind that particular saying or the various incarnations of it.
0: Yeah, I, I obviously, this is my first year as like a full forwards coach. Last year, I was a forwards coach, but I was really only doing scrums. And each week this year, I was going, am I putting in enough work here or am I doing too much? Because it was it's a really fine balance between getting it right. Like you don't want to overdo it, but you don't want to underdo it. And um, whatever we'd been doing had been working, so I've just stuck at it. But I haven't seen enough of other guys to know what's good and what is bad, if that makes sense
1: yeah oh i'd love to do more of that as well like just see other coach like just you know be a be a shadow for some of those really good coaches for a couple of weeks something or you know i watch a lot of those um you know whether well, they're on prime what are they ones with their- uh, all,
0: all or nothing
1: yeah like yeah. oh i really like those ones gives you a little bit of a glimpse of how other coaches do things like that and then yeah they're good ones to steal like, ideas off as well because um Yeah, I'm a little bit like you. Like I don't know, geez, have I prepared them enough, sort of thing, or have I underprepared them, sort of thing? Or I tend to think for myself, I sometimes go over the top, so I got to rein myself in, knowing that not everyone's a you know rugby nerd like me, and not everyone wants to think about rugby all the time. So I now um, there's actually really good examples. Like I used to send their reviews out on Saturday night to the boys, um, and then it was actually Simon Cron told me, mate, probably not the best idea. They're you know trying to enjoy themselves on Saturday night. And they get 10 points on what they have to work on this week and how they fucked up and all that you like you essentially ruin their weekend um so i don't do that anymore um i send them on sunday morning as soon as i wake up <laughs> so They wake up nice and you know a young 20 year old bloke wakes up hungover. over he's got a message from his coach so yeah it's a lot better
0: <laughs> how have you is that just something you've you've you know, gauged yourself or have you had someone look at what you've done and gone, "Mm, Ben, that's too much? Or is it just a gut instinct that you've gone, "Mm, I think that might be the right amount or?
1: I ask people, I ask guys like Chris Hickey, if if I'm talking to another coach, this is sort of what I do. Do you think this is the right way? Some of them go, yeah, that's pretty good. Others go, oh, I don't know. I don't know about this. So, and then I do think a lot of coaching is, gut feeling as well. It's fun, funny you mentioned that Oregon. There's a, a lot of intuition um, and a lot of luck that goes into being a really successful coach. So yeah, you, you gotta, you know, you gotta back your instincts at times as well.
0: Mate. Um, this has been awesome. I've got a few rapid fire questions for you. We just talked about what makes a good coach, but let's, let's ask the question formally to you. What characteristics make a good coach? We just talked a little bit about it then, but is there anything yeah. that stands out to you?
1: Uh, two things when you ask me that two things pop into mind. Um, they've got to be really hard work. Okay, you've got to be a hard worker. You, you read all about the coaches and mates, some of them are crazy. Eddie Jones up to 3 am So you gotta be a gotta be a hard worker. Um, uh, and the other big one, you know, think about a guy like Wayne Bennett, you've got to be able to manage personalities. Yeah. So they're the two off the top of my head. You've got to be able to you've got to be able to handle, you know, the 18-year-old superstar, you have gotta be handled with the 32-year-old veteran sort of thing. So uh if you're a good man manager and you're hard working, I reckon you're halfway there.
0: Do you think some people, this isn't one of the questions, that this is something that just popped into my head, but do you think some people are more suited to being an assistant or a skills coach versus being a head coach? Or do you think some people might be suited to juniors? Like, do you do you think that there's a personality type that that is suitable for each job?
1: 200 percent yeah I really do believe I reckon you can look at some people and you go he's an assistant coach you talk to someone he's definitely only an you know an assistant coach sort of thing so my I do believe that I don't know I can't explain what it is but yeah. you just get a feeling off people or there's something I don't know
0: <laughs> yeah I, I completely agree I'm having that debate with myself at the moment whether I'd just be better off going all out as an assistant or or having to crack it at a higher job one day i'd like to think that i'd want to challenge myself but i yeah i don't, I don't know well,
1: so it might be one of those things that people have to learn as well like because mm. for me like i've never really been an assistant coach so i don't know like would i would i be a good, good assistant coach i'd have to do it to find out i'd like to think i could and it's yeah. probably the same, same as you like it you're not going to know if you're a good head coach till you try it in some capacity or you you get a greater role so i'd say give it a go
0: maybe that's what makes good head coaches man <laughs> hey, are there any books, podcasts, movies, TV shows you recommend? We talked a little bit earlier about reading and some podcasts that you listen to. Uh, are there any that you'd uh recommend to the people listening?
1: Yeah, so one of one of my favorite books is um Pete Carroll's book, uh, when he was coaching the Seattle Seahawks. I can't think of the name off the top of my head. Um I've, I've got it on my audible. Yeah, keep
0: talking and I'll find it.
1: Uh and the other one which I really, really enjoyed, which I really should look up. Um, to find the name for it is um, he was the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers um, from like 1985 to 92 when they were really successful. Um, I can't remember what his name is now, which sort of ruins it a little bit. Um, but they're the two off the top of my head, which, which I really enjoy. For some reason, I, I really like those sort of NFL books. Like They've got so much – management and issues they have to do um oh, i find them particularly interesting the tv shows like we mentioned that those all or nothings the, the michael jordan one whatever that one was oh, yeah. I find them quite handy um and the podcast ones if i just click on my phone right now i know I listen, I listen to your one so i'm being legitimate there i'm not just giving you a plug the great coaches leadership and life podcast i, I seem to listen to that one um johnny wilkinson's one i fight quite interesting um it's about exploring human potential in the ex you know england 10 that's a good one and the coaching cultural co- podcast um okay. they've got different uh, coaches i think it might be american off, off the top of my head um but it's all different sports or oh, you know they'll interview you know a hockey head coach or a netball head coach a nfl head coach or oh, i like those ones
0: um the pete Carroll books win forever
1: right? yeah i lo- love that one great um, book
0: and I'm not sure the San Francisco 49ers book but I want to look that up just a recommendation for you have you read a season in the Sun no come um,
1: no on
0: it's um on Brady's first year at uh Tampa Bay very good
1: really very yeah, good is book it, is it his words or it's a ghost no nah, it's it a diary it's or?
0: it's no it's written by an outside guy in consultation with uh what's the coach uh in consultation with Bruce Arians, so it's really okay. it's it's actually pretty insightful because it was during the COVID period as well, and how he evolved himself into a brand new team and a new system, and how the coaches evolved themselves to him it was really good.
1: Okay, I'll give that. One. I'm trying to find. Okay, so Bill Walsh, the score will take care of itself.
0: That's a fantastic book.
1: Yeah, fantastic. that's sort of one of my favorite. The score takes care of itself. Yeah, they're the ones that I really enjoyed.
0: Nice, mate. Last question for you. This has been amazing. What advice would you give 18-year-old you?
1: Uh, it would be 100% like just, just um, your talent's not going to be – like as a rugby player, your talent's not going to get you there. Your hard work will. So I never trained or worked hard nearly enough. So I would just say, um, yeah, definitely work harder. And then like as myself as a person, um, whatever you, whatever you're doing – to attack it at hundred percent. So whether that be uni studies, whether that be relationships, whether that be anything, if you're going to invest time in it, don't invest in it 75%, invest in it hundred percent.
0: Mate, that's a great way to end. Thank you for this, mate. That was awesome.
1: No, nah, pleasure, mate. Really enjoyed it. Like I said, I've actually listened to a lot of the podcasts. I, I get something out of these as well. So um, hopefully I've uh, been able to contribute in some small way.
0: Mate, just give me one second.